0: we're going to turn to mark chapter 16 we're going to continue in the study that we've been going on it's not just a study it's really god is i believe god wants to speak to us by his spirit because he's calling the church together the process that god does that there's a great example i remember when our dear friend marian brown who came here for many years shared with us that when she went to to israel and some of you have been many of you've been to israel you may have seen the same thing that there she was in a bus and they stopped and there was a because there were a whole flock of sheep crossing the road, and there were several shepherds, all she could tell because they had that shepherd 's crook in their hands. And, and the guides had watched this, because when they cross the road, they 're different paths and they 're going to go down different paths. And as they went across, she saw this, that the shepherds made noises, a clucking noise, some of them some of them made a different noise. And as they did, the heads of the sheep went up, and they, they saw their shepherd, and then where that shepherd went, they followed. And out of this whole mixture of sheep that belonged to different shepherds, when the shepherd spoke, the sheep recognized his voice and they followed them in the direction that the shepherd was leading. Well, Jesus is the great shepherd of the church. And I believe he's speaking by the spirit of faith Christian center. And so we're in a process of not just learning the word and not just studying scriptures, because many of what we're going to look at, we already know. But God wants to take them and And stir things in our hearts so that things that we know to do we will no longer do because we have to or we're obligated but we'll do them out of the motive that God did them for us which is love and compassion And so God needs to touch our hearts and that's the work that only the Holy Spirit can do so as we go through the things we're going to talk about today and we have been talking about and we're going to look at scriptures we're looking for the Spirit of God to speak to us and we'll talk a little bit more about that process we're going to look in Mark chapter 16 because we're talking about why are we here why are you on this earth why am I on this earth why are we here as a church are we here so that I can have a job no I had a great job before I was a pastor here I was a lawyer in a very successful firm, a partner in a very successful firm. So I'm not in the ministry because I needed a job. I'm here because God called me. Called me to leave what I was doing before and called me to come to this, place, this wonderful place and to be entrusted with this opportunity that for this season God's put into our hands to do and then God moves things on. But for right now, that's, we're here not because I need a job. We're not here because you need something to do on a Sunday morning. But we're here because God's called us here. And he's called us here for a purpose. We've also seen that the reason when you were saved, Jesus left you here is because he has an assignment for you personally. And I believe with all my heart that your personal assignment is somehow intertwined with the assignment of this church, because this church is not this building, it's not this stage that we're renovating, it's not the seats you sit in, it's not the carpet, it's not the air conditioning. The church is the body of Christ, it's you and me. And he's called us together, just as your physical body was formed together in your mother's womb, so that it could function as a living being when, it, when you came forth and you took your deep first breath. You began to live in this world and God has a purpose for your life and a purpose for our lives together. And if, if we did not have it, the most loving thing that Jesus could have done is save you and just take you home with him because the only place we can ever get in trouble is here. There's no trouble in heaven. There's no sin in heaven. There's no temptation to look at things you shouldn't look at, say things you shouldn't say, eat things you shouldn't eat. There's no temptation like that in heaven. It's all here. So why would God put us here if he loves us? Because he cares for people beyond us. There's some things God wants to do and it always involves people because God is a God of people. We're his idea, we're not our idea. And so we're looking at what that purpose is and we've discovered the only place we can truly find that is to go in the, the owner's manual that he's given to us and we're looking at this section of scripture where Jesus has finished training his disciples as far as he was going to hear and he's been crucified, he's been raised from the dead, he's walked among them for about 40 days, and he's about to be ascended into heaven. And these are the last instructions he gives them. And these are the instructions he gives to the church. Because those first apostles, those first 11, are part of the body of Christ just as much as we are. They're not some illustrious group. They're just the first part that's gone across. The rest of us are here as part of that same body to carry out that same work. So we're going to read here starting in verse 14. Later he appeared to the eleven as, sat at the, as they sat at the table. He rebuked their unbelief and the hardness of their heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, these are the instructions. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. These signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it will by no means harm them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere, they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through accompanying signs. And we've been breaking this verse 15 down. The first word in there is go. and We talked about what go means, and we'll spend probably more time down the road looking at that. But it, the word implies momentum. We have a course on momentum that Pastor Kurt announced earlier this morning that's, that's being held right now. Momentum means the tendency of a body that's in motion to stay in motion, but it also means the tendency of a body that's not in motion to stay not in motion. So whatever it is you're doing, the, the definition goes on to say that there's a, if you're moving, it involves a force, that can, a force and an energy to keep you in motion. And so the, the challenge is to get in motion, because once you're in motion, you will pick up the energy, and often when you're sitting still and not doing anything, to do anything looks overwhelming, but the moment you begin to step out by faith, you find that the energy is there, and Jesus uses that as talks about that. He said, behold, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. He said, oh, we're going to look in Matthew, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. You therefore Go the church has been given all the authority of Christ, his name. And we wonder, why don't we see it? Because we're not using it to go. We're waiting to see the authority and the power, and then we'll go. And there's no faith in that. It's as we go that he will come with us, and we will see the signs and wonders. But if we sit here just for our own purposes, to be entertained by the signs and wonders, God hasn't ordained them for that purpose. And I believe that's why we haven't seen more things. And we're not just talking to Faith Christian Center. And so he goes on and says, go into, we talked about into, means out, among, not just Uh, not just sitting in here talking about it, but it means to be involved. And then he says, in all the world, that word's cosmos, which means the systems of the world, the thinking processes of the world, the economy of the world. We're to be out there, not sitting on a mountaintop as monks do and meditate, and I'm not criticizing them, just saying we're called to be out in the world, not of the world, but in the world, because how can we have an influence on a world that we're not into, that we're not involved in? So your calling may not be to stand in a pulpit. Your calling may not be to stand on a street corner with a megaphone. Your calling may be in the workplace where God's assigned you. So you've got to learn to see yourself as a Christian. That doesn't, What it means to be a Christian does not mean I go to church on a Sunday morning. That involves it, but your Christian means you have an assignment somewhere. It may be in your workplace. It may be in your school. But you've got to begin to realize the world that you've been called into is where you've been placed, where you've been placed. And so it's into all the world to preach. We'll talk more about that as we go down the road. But the word word preach just means proclaim. It doesn't mean stand behind a pulpit. It means to proclaim or to tell. And the most effective ways to do that is just with your lifestyle. And then as the opportunities open up. You speak into people's lives. But what is it we're to proclaim? This is what we're really looking at now. And this is where I really believe that, that, that we need the Spirit of God to open our eyes. We're to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Well, the gospel is a term. We talked about that last time when, 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 I, met, when I ministered. The gospel is a term that to, to all of us means something. But what does it mean in the Bible? What does the Bible mean by it? The world looks at it, and it, you know, it's a term in the dictionary. You'll find one of its meanings is to speak truth. So you know, it's the gospel, meaning it's the truth. To Christians, it it means something. What does it mean? It means, I don't know, it means the Bible. And I looked it up in some of the commentaries and dictionaries, and interesting what they say. Paul had a very definite meaning to it. Paul talks about my gospel. He talks about the gospel of Christ. He had a very different idea involved in it, and we're going to begin to look at that today in Romans. And we get to Romans. We may not get quite there that far this morning. But but the gospel, the word literally comes from literally comes from a Greek word which means good news. Good news. And so what we were looking at last time is and, and what I'm what I'm finding, because I'm on a journey with along with you in this, the Spirit of God's been challenging me and has to challenge us. And he does he's doing with me with, with questions. And I want to talk a little bit about this process because before we really get into what the good news is, we touched on it last time. We talked about, let's, very often I find what helps me is to take some term or some religious or spiritual term, take it out of church and, and bring it over into our quote-unquote real life. So forget the word gospel, let's just talk about what good news is. So get out of church in, in your head, don't leave, but get out of church in your head and get out into, into the, the, what we think of as the real world, although this is the, this is the real world. That's right. And what is good? We all know what good news you know, you know The specifics of it may be different to you and different to me, but we can recognize good news. So when, when your boss calls you in, and you've heard that there are layoffs planned, and you go in nervously, and the boss has you sit down and says, I've been watching you, and, and I see character, I see integrity in you. You're here on time. And I know you're a Christian and you have a Bible, but you're not using this time to work that I pay you for to read your Bible and talk to other people. You're doing that on your own time. Then I see I see I see things about you a favor. I don't know quite what it is. And so our a supervisor's left, and I'm going to offer that position to you. Now is that good news? Yeah. So it's not hard. I don't. Pray. That's good news. You get a raise. That's good news because. Good news is something that's good, right? And news is something that you haven't heard before or haven't seen before or understood before. So good news is to find something that you haven't seen before. It's been there, but you haven't seen it before, and it's good. Now, when that happens outside of religious terms, it happens in your real life. What would you do? You got Friday, this Friday... Your boss does that to you. He's promoting you with a big jump in pay. Would you call your husband or wife? Would you go home and tell anybody about it? Look what God did for me. I was in trouble. We were getting things. I don't know how we were going to do it. I remember one time when we were, I was practicing, we were in Bible school, actually we graduated. And and, and it's a long story. I've shared it as part of our testimony several years ago. But we were, these were, so tight, we, they, our ends weren't even getting close to meeting. And I have just always had the view that God was my source. And because God was my source, when I needed a raise, I didn't go to my boss. I went to my source. And I asked him for a raise. And I've shared my testimony of three different times dramatically that God did it in each time in a very different way. And this was one of those times, and I remember... That, I remember My, I just, I, I was that morning. I'd go in and said, God, I can't wait any longer. My family's gonna suffer if I don't say something. And I've always told you, Lord, I would never ask my boss for a raise. I would always ask you. And I've asked you, and I don't see anything. I really have to, I have to do something today. So at the end of today, I'm gonna have to go and talk to my boss. And I sat down in my office to start, and my boss walks in. He said, John, I've been watching you, and I've not known what to do when you came here because you have experience. And I don't know quite what to do with you, but I've been very pleased with what I've seen. So I've decided, as I look back over the six months you've been here, that I haven't been paying you enough. So I'm going to double your salary. And I'm sitting there smiling, saying thank you, on the outside. And then as he got up, he reached into his pocket and pulled out, and i oh, by the way, I realized I should have been paying you this from the beginning. So here's a check to make up what I should have been paying you from the beginning. That was good news. Now, back then, we didn't have cell phones. But I got to tell you, as soon as I walked in that door, first of all, I closed my door. And I had a little, little, little worship service in there. And that money's long gone but the memory of God coming through for me, I'll never, ever forget. But I had to tell people, and see what I'm doing today? I'm still telling you some 30 years later. So when we've experienced good news, we can't keep our mouth shut. There are several examples where Jesus did some wonderful things for people in the Bible. Jairus raised his daughter up, and others, he told them, don't go tell anybody. And then they what did they, do? they rushed out. And they couldn't keep it to themselves. Why? Because it was good news. And my question that I ask myself is, if this is good news, why do I have to make myself tell people? If this is good news, why do we have to have classes to inspire people and challenge people? Why do we have to, and we, I don't do that here, why do we have to use guilt to tell people, this is what we should be doing? I didn't need anybody to tell me to go home and tell my wife or everybody else I could find. My classmates, I told them all over the place. Why? Because it was good news to me. So maybe we've really not seen the good news of what God's done for us. Or maybe it's been so long ago that we've seen it and understand it with our minds, but we've lost touch with the real experience in our hearts. And so that what used to be a passion I had, not because I had to, because I couldn't keep my mouth shut because of the good things God had done for me, maybe I've lost touch with those things, or maybe you never really experienced that. So that's what we're after. We're after to see what the, the good news is in our life in a way that we can't keep our mouth shut. Because I'm telling you what God's done for you when you truly see what God's done for you, you can't keep your mouth shut. You have to work hard to be under the control of the Spirit. You have to be like you're like who I know Jesus said, "Don't tell anybody." I can't. I can't. It's like it's like Peter and John when they were arrested for for, for speaking Jesus' name over the man that was lame at the big gate, beautiful. And they bring them in, and they don't know what to do with them. And finally, they just said, "Well, you know, let's beat him and send them out. Just command them not to do anything in His name anymore." It tells you where the where the problem, where the authority is, where the problem to the devil is. And their answer is, "Whether we should obey you or not, we don't know. All we know is we can't help but say the things we've seen and heard. We can't help it." Whether we're supposed to or not, I don't know. But Peter's basically saying, I can't keep my mouth shut. Because I've seen my Savior die on that cross. And I've seen him raised from the dead. And I denied him three times. I cried bitterly. I failed him. at At the most crucial moment of my life, I failed. But when he was raised from the dead, he came to me on the shores. And lovingly looked in my eyes and forgave me and restored. I can't be quiet about that. So we need to ask ourselves, allow the Spirit of God to ask us some questions. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I was going to launch right into that, but we're on a journey together to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us the changes that He wants to work in us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. As I was going over this this morning and praying this morning, this began to touch my heart. I believe the Spirit of God is going to ask us questions such as the one we just asked. That's what he's been asking me. And The purpose of his questions are to break through things and to penetrate into our hearts and to touch our hearts, not to condemn us. God is a Father who loves us. But because he loves us, he won't leave us where we are. Because he loves us, he's like any loving father, he'll get in and in love will bring correction. But his correction is always to bring us up to another level. A level he knows we can walk in with his grace and with his help. So this is not to condemn us, this is to challenge us to grow as Christians. You know, This is a year I celebrate a very significant birthday just in terms of the time of my body on this earth. But, and I forgot what I was going to say about that. I, lost, I got into that and lost my whole train of thought. <laughs> oh, but in many ways, God's still dealing with me as a child to grow up, challenging me in areas to grow up in things that I've not fully matured in. And I'm not sure, no matter how much we've grown, we ever fully mature until we, because his goal is to bring us into the fullness of the image of Christ. And I'm, got a long, I'm kind of like this platform still under construction. I see progress from last week to when we were here. I see progress, but it, and it's not yet where I want to say. I walked, I, can't, I got back, and I had to come in and see it. So I came right in here, and it's like, well, this is good, and you know, you know. But I was hoping to see more, and then I walked around a little bit, and I could see some of the work they did behind the scenes that you can't see from out there, which is preparation. It's like, you know, sometimes the work God's doing in us is preparation for things that later we'll be able to see, and then he can display his glory. So we're all in that progress. This is why I like what we're going talking about right now and the visual example of what we're going through. And sometimes you've got to rip out the old to build the new in there. But God's the master contractor, the master builder, and he's at work in us to do that. Praise God. So part of the process is God asking these questions. And the purpose of these questions is to penetrate through blocks and blockages in our heart. And so here's why that becomes important. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. But even if our gospel, the good news, is veiled, hidden, it's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds... The God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light, the truth of the gospel, the good news of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves as bondservant for Jesus' sake. For it is the God God who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So the God that created the universe, the God that spoke the light into existence, the source of light, he is the source of light, the God that spoke light so that we can see the world that's around us and appreciate and recognize the beautiful flowers and the and the trees this time of year the, the, the light that allows us to get on the highway and not hit something or somebody the light that allows us to see clearly where we're going in this life god has also got a spiritual light that he wants to shine in us so that we can see the glory of the gospel of jesus christ the good news that's in Christ Jesus. The good news of what God has done for us in Christ. Paul refers to Christ as containing unfathomable riches. Unfathom is a, is a distance. They used to measure when they didn't have the, the sonar and the things that could tell you how deep, the, how far down the, the bottom of the ocean was or the river was for a boat. They would throw lead over the side on a string and they had marks, fathom marks on it. And they could measure how far down the water was and whether it was safe to go on, and they measured the fathoms. And what Paul is saying, when you throw that measure over into the wisdom and the riches of Christ, there's no bottom to it. So there's things about the beauty of Christ, the love of Christ, the grace of God, the work that God's done for you, the grace that God has lavished on you that we haven't even begun to see, which is why we can come to church and just sit so peacefully and nicely and praise God and sing nice songs but worship comes out of really seeing who God is and appreciating we spent several years ago we spent a whole year on worship and that was really our theme to get an understanding of who God is to worship Him in spirit and in truth seeing the truth of who God is and so Satan's the one that blinds our eyes Satan's the one this is talking about unbelievers, but it's not just unbelievers. It's the process of, of, of seeing who God is in our hearts and allowing that to touch us, to see the good news of what God's done for us. Because for most of us, that good news is just a concept in our head. We can spit back out what Jesus has saved me. Jesus has died; He's paid for my sins. We most of us have been around long enough that we can say the right words. We have the right concept of it, but it's not the concept of it that touches people. It's the passion of it that comes out of us, and that passion comes out of our heart, not our head. That's it. And Satan's the one that tries to keep a veil over our hearts. That not just, you know, before you were saved it was that veil over your mind that didn't really see who Christ was and what he'd done for you. But after we're a Christian, we still have, there's a veil there. He tries to keep over our hearts so that we can experience the good news, the grace, the love that Christ has for us. And here's, the, here's one of the evidences of it, because we become critical and judgmental of other people. We're, we're looking at what's wrong with other people. And the reality is when we're always looking at what's wrong with other people it's because we're conscious of what's wrong with us. But it's always much easier to look at it in other people. That's why Jesus said before you go to take the speck out of your brother's eye make sure you've removed the beam that's in your eye. What do you think allows you to recognize the wood that's in someone else's eye is because you're looking over the top of the wood that's in your eye. So the question God asks me is what is it in your heart that makes you so aware of what's wrong in that person's heart. Questions. Satan tries to blind us so that we can't see this. He has several ways of doing this. One of the most common ways, one of his favorite ways is religion. Well, I thought we're religious. No, we're not religious here. We have a relationship with Christ. Religion are the traditions of man. Man. And the basis of religious tradition is learning how to do what I need to do so that I can make myself acceptable to God. And most of us have come out of some religious tradition where the whole emphasis is on what you do, whether you pray enough, whether you give enough, whether you're good enough, whether you eat the right things or don't eat the wrong things, whether where you go and where you don't go. And there are some good things to eat and things we shouldn't eat. There are some places we shouldn't go. But our trust, the bottom of religion, line of religion, it is man trusting in his own efforts to raise himself up to God. And I don't care how hard you try and how diligent you are, it's easier to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and jump over the moon than it is to raise yourself up and make yourself acceptable to God on your own. Jesus, the other thing that religion does, it establishes traditions. The last words of a dying church is we've never done that here before. (laughs) Or we've always done it that way. Change is a process of life. There are some things we don't change. You don't change the truth. You don't change the word of God. But Paul changed his methods to reach the people he was trying to reach. He says, I've become all things to all men that I might by some means save some with the gospel. Never changed his message but his means changed. His approach has changed. And that's part of what we're doing here. But religion establishes traditional. Jesus said, your traditions frustrate the word of God. Our traditions get in God's way. Our traditions get in the way of God. Well, this is how we do it. And you've got to understand, because we're, creature, we're human... Part of our human nature is we we love habits, basically bad ones, but we like them, okay? We we like to to do, we don't like change. We like to do things the way we've always done it. And the greatest proof of it is you sit in the same seat every week. (laughs) Nothing wrong with that, but sometimes change is good for us especially if you sit in the back, and I'm not looking at anybody. You might just try some radical move to sit closer to the front and find out you may get more out of the service. I'm not looking at anybody. Am I, Pastor, right? All right, okay, all right, okay. Change. We like the status quo because it's comforting, but God will shake your world up. So, you have to go back and trust in him again. So, religion is one of the ways Satan veils the truth. He loves having us come to church. He loves having us come to church because by coming and just coming to church, so I can say during the week, I went to church today, I feel good about myself. I was good today, I was faithful. Do you know the latest statistics say that the average Christian? 62% 62% of the people that consider themselves regular church attenders mean every other week, twice a month by that. 62% of the people that were interviewed by the Barna Foundation, they were said, are you a faithful church attender? Yes. How often do you go to church? At least twice a month. So if you're coming to church just so I can feel good because I went to church, then Satan's veiling your heart. He's deceiving you so that you're being robbed from the opportunity that is here every time we come to church. We talked about worship. We talked about the opportunity that we have, that every time we come here to worship, we have an opportunity to have an encounter with the living God, the God who parted the Red Sea, the God who created the universe with His words, the God who knows everything. He knows who's gonna, he knows the lottery number for tomorrow. Is he gonna tell you? Most likely not. Oh God, if you just tell me the lottery number, it would solve all my problems. Yes, and you'd learn to trust in the lottery and not tithe and find out how faithful God is. He is the source of life, truth, light, energy. Everything you need, God has for you infinitely. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.32, he says, He who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also together with him freely give us all things that he has? Then how come I don't have more? You have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you don't believe that God's really going to do it because you don't know how good he is, how much he loves you. And when we do, it moves us. We can't just sit still. We have to tell somebody. We have to tell somebody. So religion, traditions... Go with me to uh, Matthew chapter 13. We'll look at another way that he blinds our eyes. And I felt led to talk about this because we're really talking about this process by which the Holy Spirit wants to touch our hearts. Otherwise, we're going to come away with things, well, I've heard that before, I know that. And when we'll go out and we won't do it. The measure of what you know, what you really know in your heart, is what you're doing. James says that in chapter James says be doers of the word and not hearers only because when we hear the word and don't do it we deceive ourselves Jesus said it differently he said if you if you if you hear the word but you don't do it you're like the man who built his house on the sand when the storms come the storm will knock your house down but if you hear the word and then you do what you hear you will build a foundation under your life which is the word of God, it only gets built into your life as you do it, not as you hear it and say, yes, amen, I agree with that. And as you begin to act on this word, it becomes a reality in your heart, and now it becomes a reality in your life, and now you have to share it. You can't keep quiet about it. So the measure of how real the good news is to us is not when we say amen in church and we shout and jump and sing in church. It's what we do out there. It's what of this we carry out there. Not out of obligation, but because I love to do it. It's the passion of my life. So the things we need to discover. Matthew chapter 13. This is a powerful parable. We're not going to go through it all. We're going to start in verse 18. But Jesus says at the beginning of this something very significant. He says to his disciples, if you can understand this story I'm about to tell you, then you can understand everything else I'm going to tell you. But if you don't get this... You'll miss the rest of it. And he said, I speak in parables because there are many out there in the crowd that followed Jesus around just like they do today for different reasons. Some of them them followed around because he healed the sick. Some of them followed him around because he fed them. Some of them followed him around because they were seeing exciting things. Some of them followed around because they liked what he was saying. But after he Performed his miracles after he says in Matthew chapter 4 that he said, verse I guess, 34, uh, he said, he said, you know, he went, he went out healing everyone that was sick in that group. And then it says in chapter 5, he withdrew up on the mountain and he began to speak what we call the Sermon on the Mount. But he didn't pick his 12 disciples and say, you guys follow me. He went up on the mountain and said, and whoever came up to hear him, he spoke to. So he only spoke the secrets to those who were interested in hearing what he really had to say and followed him because of who he was and because of the the impact he was having on their life, not because they were just seeing good things happening. And that's still true today. So he said, for you, if you can understand this, then you can understand everything else that I'm going to tell you. And it was a story about a farmer who sowed seed. And the way they sowed seed then is they would just throw it out. And he said, some of that seed fell on the road. Some of that seed fell beside the road where the ground was hard, but there was ground. It just wasn't very deep. Some of it fell out into the field where thorns grew up and thistles and weeds grew up. And it choked it. And it didn't produce very much. The first seed, uh, birds of prey came in and just ate it before it ever got into the ground. And then that that threw, fell on the, on the soil that was, that was thin and narrow, it, it took seed, it took root, but the roots couldn't go down deep. They went out, and when the sun came up in the heat of the sun, because the roots couldn't go down into the soil where the water was, it dried up and burned up. And then the seed that fell among the good soil, but fell where there was other things planted there, weeds and thistles, it grew up, but because there were other things in the soil competing for the nutrients in the water, it grew up but it didn't produce very healthy fruit or no fruit at all. And now he begins to explain to them what this is about. Verse eighteen. He goes on to say that the word his father is the farmer, and the seed is the word of God. Therefore, verse 18, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom of God and does not understand it, the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. So it never takes root. Yet even now as we're speaking, there are distractions that are coming to some of you so that you don't hear what's being said. Just literally hear the words. Your mind's wandering. And I understand I've been there too. Your mind's wandering. Which again, I'm not looking at anybody. The closer you are the fewer distractions there are. I'm not looking at anybody. But Satan comes. Understand that. There's a spiritual warfare that goes on when you're hearing the word because he doesn't want it planted in your heart because he knows what that word will do if it gets into your heart. So he tries to snatch it away so you don't even hear it and don't understand it. Verse 20. But he who receives the seed On stony places, that's he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Wow, what a great message that was. Oh, that moved my heart. And walk out here and just forget about it. Nothing changes. You see, they receive the word on stony places, hear the word and immediately receive it with joy. Verse 21, and yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. But when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately... He stumbles. Verse twenty-two. This is the one I wanted to get to. Now he who received the seed among the storm thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives the seed on good ground is he who hears the word, understands it. He who indeed bears fruit and produces some hundredfold, some sixty and some 30. So in the process that God is taking us through, to take the good news and to touch our hearts with it, to remove the veils that allow us to be so complacent, the veil that allows us to live in a world that's dying, going to hell, with suffering all around us, and become callous, and and not bad people, just it doesn't move us anymore. Or maybe it's never moved us. God is taking us on a process by which he's going to penetrate that by the Spirit of God if we'll allow him to and get through the callous, get through the the veils and to touch our heart as only the Holy Spirit can do. And the traditions, our traditions, our religious way of doing things will get in the way. In this last great revival, I believe, God's going to do things in ways he's never done them before. Our concept of, of, the, of, the, of evangelism is bringing people in here. And this is here for that purpose. But the real evangelism is going to take place out there. Yes. Out there. We can't get everybody in here. But it's out there in your world. Out there in our world. Out there. And that's going to be different than it's been before. So we've got to be willing to see things done in different ways and different terms. We may have to even see the front of our church look differently than it's looked before. But That's good. That's good. Because God's trying to reach a generation that the way we've done things before, it doesn't resonate with them. The truth is still the same. But the one that's more subtle, the one that we battle also, is that that Satan tries to sow into our hearts the cares of this world. And they're real. That's the issue. They're not fake things. Whether you're going to have... Uh, you know, enough money to live on this year, whether you've got a retirement fund, whether you've got, whether you're de- whatever the practical issues of your life right now, they're real. They're not to be ignored. But understand this, that there's a spiritual warfare going on and Satan wants to use those things to sow into your heart distractions so that the Spirit of God cannot fully impact your heart with the word of God that will change you. Satan understands this process better than the churches understood it. And Jesus talks about this earlier on in that sermon that I referred to because he talks about what is your heart really seeking after? And he says the, 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 the window, just as your eye, is the window of your body. It it lets what light it determines what light gets in. In the same way, your heart is the window to your spirit and your soul. And Jesus said, if your eye is evil, it says in the King James, but the word actually means diseased, then the light that's getting in you is darkness. And what that's talking about is if you have a cataract or your eyes have a disease or or just, you know, poor eyesight, light's getting in, but you can't see clearly. And those that have had cataract surgery, most of them that I've talked to said, it's amazing, I can suddenly see again. There was light getting in, but I couldn't see clearly. Forms were changed, and I, I, so I had to wear glasses, and it got to the point where I finally had to have those cataracts removed. But once that, once that cloudiness was removed, the light could get in as it was getting in before, but now it was getting in accurately. And then Jesus goes to talk about our heart. It seems to change subjects in verse 19, he says, he says because you know, man cannot serve two masters, cannot serve God and mammon, things, this world. Either we'll love the one and hate the other, or we'll hate the one and love the other. But you can't love both. And then he says in verse 20, interesting thing, he starts talking about the stuff we need to live on. So he says, therefore, take no thought about tomorrow, what you're going to wear or what you're going to eat. He's not saying don't plan. He's not saying don't go to the grocery store. He's not saying don't make a list for your husband to go shopping. He's not saying those things. He's saying don't consume your heart with them. Don't invest your heart. You're caring in those things. He says, just look around you. Look at what our God is like. And this is a great time of year to do that. Look at the birds of the field. Look at the birds. We were doing this on our trip. We're just watching the birds. And they're looking around, and they'd find this here and find that there and carry a twig. There's this wonderful, in this pond behind us, there's this wonderful pair of swans out there. And she sits on the nest all day, and he's out finding food to bring to her. I've never yet driven by there and seen him, seen him wring his wings. I don't know what we're going to do, dear. I just couldn't find anything. And he says, "Look at the lilies of the field. Look at the beautiful flowers. Great time of year, the beautiful lilac bushes, the beautiful tulips that are coming in, the beautiful flowers. Look at those. This is gorgeous. And they're here today, and gone tomorrow, when the heat of summer comes in. If God so clothes the fields, such beautiful. And God feeds the birds so that they're not anxious." How much more? He didn't make them in our ima- his image. He didn't make the birds in his image. They're not his crowning creation. You and I are. If they're not anxious, would he not so much more take care of us? And then he says the key. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, not just to get into heaven, but seek first what God seeks first. Have your priority of your heart be what's God's priority of his heart. Say, yeah, but i got to have those things. Don't you think he can take care of you? I mean, you really think it's your job that's supporting you? Where do you think your job came from? Where do you think your house came from? Where do you think the money to buy all these things comes from? God's brought it to you. He's your source. In Hebrews chapter 13 where he's talking about not being worried about money he's don't you understand that God will never in the Greek it says it three times he will never no never no never forsake you and leave you cast down. So well how come it hasn't happened? Because the only requirement is you believe him. And stop being anxious about yourself. But what I want you to see this morning is what's involved in that. What's involved in the cares of this life. And it can be not just things. It could be your family. We've been through some of that. Your family. There's nothing that can touch you, bless you, or hurt you more than those that are the closest to you. Children, grandchildren, parents interesting, Psalm 127. This sermon, I woke up with this psalm about the church. But it also talks about children. It says, unless the Lord builds the house. Unless the Lord builds the house. Unless the Lord builds the church. Unless the Lord builds your house, your family. Unless the Lord's doing it, they that labor, labor in vain. It's vain, empty, futile to rise up early or stay up late eating the bread of sorrow. Oh, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know what to do with these kids. I don't know what we're going to do, God. I don't know what to do. Oh, Lord. He says, He gives His beloved sleep. God doesn't want you anxious. So, what do I do with them? Kids, what do I do with my parents? What I'm going to tell you makes no natural sense. But it's the word of God. Put God first. Jesus said, I've come, and what what I am going to, in some cases, cause division in families. Family's not first in God's eyes. Christ is, and God through him. And then family. And we get things out of order. And Satan gets involved in that process because he wants us consumed with worry and fear. I don't know what my kids are doing out there. I don't know what they're doing. Out, I'm, you know, it's 2 o'clock in the morning and they're not home. I don't know what they're doing. Go to bed and put them in his hands. Amen. Let me ask you this question. I don't know why I'm offering kids this morning. What kind of job have you been doing? How well is it working? Say, I'm not, it's not going too well. Then give God a shot. Just let him go into his hands. How do you think you got here? But here's the issue. This is why Satan gets involved in this process. He wants you worried. He wants you fretting. He wants you, because when you worry about something, and this is Jesus' whole point there, when you worry about something, you're giving it a place of care in your heart that's above him. And when you give something in your heart a place of caring Above him, it becomes a veil that interferes with the spirit of God's being able to touch your heart. It's possible that God could drop one drop of wisdom in your heart for that teenager. That that word from you could totally turn around, but you can't hear it because you're too busy worrying. Don't you think God knows what to do? Don't you think God can't speak? I know of a story where it was a preacher. He finally, going through this terrible time with his daughter, finally said, that's it. I put her in your hands, God. She's I'm, I'm, yours. As soon as he did that, she went to go to bed that night. She was in complete rebellion. She walked in her bedroom, and there was a man standing in her room with his head halfway through the ceiling, glowing. And I forgot what he said to her, but he basically says, you better get things right, and disappeared. It completely turned her life around. You don't know what God can do. You don't know what God can do. So let Him do it. But understand this it's not an option. Because when we worry about the things of life, the cares of this world, or the deceitfulness of riches, I gotta get more, I gotta get more money, I gotta get more of this, I gotta get more of this, because my securities and what I have, it can go away like that but God can what's at stake is every time you're worrying every time you're anxious about anything you're giving something else a place of care and love in your heart that's above God and that becomes a veil that keeps the spirit of God able to just touch you but I have good news this morning I have good news for you and that's what we're talking about right I have good news for you this morning God is able. God is able to penetrate the veil. In fact, the fact that you're here today, the fact that you have received Christ is because he got through that veil. Satan's the one that blinds the eyes of those that don't believe. Not just that don't believe in Christ, but once we're in Christ, he can still blind our eyes to the trueness, the depth of that good news. Let's just read on and then we'll bring, begin to bring this to a close. Go back to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 6. For it is God who's comm- who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God that's in the face of Of Jesus Christ it's God who has the power to create the light of the world God who calls everything to come into existence with his word God is able to cause the light to shine the light of the knowledge of the glory of God the knowledge of the glory of God the glory of God there is we lack the knowledge of it it's not real to us and this word knowledge means a knowledge of experience not just a head concept, theological knowledge, but the reality of it. I got news for you. If you have a loved one that's gone on to be with the Lord and is in heaven, as much as they love you, as much as you may miss them, given the opportunity to come back, there's no way. There's no way. I've heard stories of people that died in an operating table and went to heaven and they were sent back and they were mad. See, it's hard for us to grasp that because this is all we know. This is the best we know. But heaven is infinitely, yeah, I can't. If, like, there's no words to describe, is infinitely beyond the best you've ever seen here of the Lord. First Corinthians 13, Paul, or, Paul says, you know, now we see through a grass dimly the best experience you've ever had with the Lord is nothing. But then we're going to see him face to face. Wow. We're going to see the light of the glory of God that shines out of Jesus' face with nothing in between. Nothing in between. Wow. And if that doesn't excite you, it's because of the veil that's there. And all God wants to do, I believe, this morning is just begin to get us conscious of where we really are. God already knows. He's not sitting in heaven saying, oh my gosh, FCC, do you see where they are? Wow. No, he knows. He's trying to get us to see so we'll wake up and ask him to bring change in. All he needs is our permission to come in and begin to work his change in our so, the question today is Are we willing? Are we willing today, Faith Christian Center? Are I, are, am I willing as an individual to say, Jesus, I want the Holy Spirit to begin to penetrate the veils that I have built or the Satan has, I've let Satan build in my heart, and begin to touch and let the light shine through? Because once that light begins to get through, I had an experience with God. While we were away, just it was a momentary one, but I got I, I got so excited I could have walked on water. It changed how I saw everybody and everything, and then I desperately wanted to go back and grab it again. And when I couldn't grab it again, I got scared or frustrated until I realized I didn't make it happen to begin with. It's God. See, He knows how to do this. You don't have to get in charge of it and figure the program out. You just have to ask Him. You just have to ask Him. Lord, I want that. So we're going to just close our eyes right now. And I'm going to pray for you and for me too, because this is my journey as well as yours. I'm going to pray, and we're going to ask God, and in your own heart, we're going to just be quiet for a few moments. And between you and God, just ask him whatever it is you want to ask him right now. Jesus said in several places, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open the door, my father and I will come in and we will sup with you, fellowship with you. Say, well, I'm saved he came in. Yeah, but he wants to come in in his fullness. He wants to come in in his fullness. He wants to fill you with all of his fullness. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. If you're listening by radio, I encourage you to do the same thing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Father, you're here this morning by your Spirit. And you are not only able, but I believe you're looking into each one of our hearts. And you hear the cry of some that are saying, Lord, I desperately want what I'm hearing. I've tasted it before, but I've lost touch with it. You're hearing other hearts that are saying, I've never... I've never tasted what I've heard about this morning, but I want it. You're hearing other hearts that i saying, I'm, I'm a little confused, I'm not sure what this is all about. I just know that I want you. And there may be some hearts here this morning, Lord, that the seed just really didn't get in today. We thank you that your grace is sufficient for all. Thank you that by your precious Holy Spirit, You will come in your grace and meet us right where we are. We pray today, I pray, Father, for every one of us here this morning, every one of us at Faith Christian Center, because this is so important for us as well as for your kingdom. We give you permission, invite you, implore you to come into our hearts at a different way in a different level and make yourself real at a different level and touch our hearts with what touches yours Father the Apostle Paul prayed over the church at Ephesus that you would strengthen them and I pray today over us by your spirit with might with power in our inner man that Christ may be able to live his life in us for us and through us that by faith being rooted and grounded in love we would come to know together with all the saints the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that passes all natural understanding that we may be filled up with all of his fullness and our confidences, that you who are able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think according to the power of your Holy Spirit who works in us to the glory of God the Father in the church. Amen and amen I would just encourage you through this week in your private time you can be in your car just talk to God about this Lord ask me questions that I need to have asked to find out where I am these are questions I felt God asking me and to share with you but there may be others begin to see the Holy Spirit knocking at your door so that you'll open it wider and let him in more to do his work. He's so gracious and so wonderful. I encourage you in this. and We'll pick up back here with this because God wants us to know the good news so that our face becomes a billboard and our lives becomes a testimony. It says in Revelation, and the overcame him By the blood of the Lamb, we know that. And the word of their testimony. So our testimony, our story of the good news of what Christ has done for us is part of our salvation.